Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Gina. Hi, Ioni. Hi, everyone. I'm Gina, the senior editor of Polyester. And I'm Ioni, the founding editor-in-chief of Polyester. And this is the Polyester Podcast, a feminist pop culture podcast dissecting the discourse on a weekly basis. For this special edition of the Polyester Podcast, we are sitting down with writer, editor, and brand strategist Fumi Fato to discuss Welcome Collection's exhibition, The Cult of Beauty. We'll be discussing how the exhibition shines a light on current beauty discourse, as well as exploring how the cult of beauty traces beauty standards across modern history. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very, very well. Very happy to be here with you <laughs> Good. to talk about this. I know. What? Where do we start? I mean, let's start with you. Okay. Can we please have a little brief introduction to you and your work? Although I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar. Oh, goodness, I don't want to take that for granted. Um, <laughs> how do I begin? Okay, so I'm Fumi Feto. I am a writer and an editor, and I work with lots of brands, as you mentioned. I have a column at The Observer, so I'm a beauty columnist there. But I also do a lot of beauty and art um, for Vogue, as I'm a contributing editor there. So that's really a sort of a very, very tight roundup of my work. And um, and yeah, as I said, and I work with a lot of beauty brands in terms of strategizing on lots of different things, whether it's marketing or product development or messaging, anything. Really? I do, I do, (laughs) which I've been, um, it's sort of been sleeping for a while and I'm not sure when I'm going to wake it up because it is a lot of work. So I take my hat off to you too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think people realise how much work goes into um, putting a podcast together. Yeah, so my um, podcast really was focused on beauty, but the culture around beauty and really kind of asking questions about beauty and how we see ourselves why we want to look a certain way, what has led us to that point and so on and so forth and really sort of just pulling that apart a little bit and and being really sort of questioning on what we see and, and the things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm really interested in what like led you to beauty as your kind of beat, no pun no, I didn't mean that as a part um, But we like it. We yeah, take like it. The beat, you know, <laughs> makeup, having a good beat. <laughs> you know, my um, foray into beauty was actually totally, totally accidental. Mm-hmm. I had, I mean, I was interested in beauty, like, you know, most girls in their teens and so on, you know, would explore and experiment with beauty. But I never really thought about it in terms of um, going into a career in beauty at all. I wanted to work in magazines, although I didn't study journalism or fashion. I studied finance and then left my 
job one day and and started um, interning on a fashion magazine. And I was not interested in the beauty pages at all because nothing in there spoke to anyone who looked like me. Mm -hmm. So it just wasn't even on my radar. And I think it's when I went freelance later on in my career, not so much later on, but quite still quite early on in my career, then I started writing about beauty because, you know, when you're freelance, I think you turn your hand to lots of different things. And um, I started getting some requests for people to, you know, from people to, for me to, you know, write about beauty as it pertains to people of Mm colour. And that's really how it sort of started. And it wasn't because I was really that in love with beauty. It was really probably because I was really irritated by the fact that it just wasn't particularly inclusive and the conversations were so narrow. And also in terms of how beauty is explored, a lot of times it's quite facile Mm -hmm. and it's very superficial. And I kind of wanted to dig a little bit deeper. So it was kind of twofold. And Mm -hmm. that's how I sort of ended up um, going in there. In some ways, I feel like I, I can be, I mean, I do like beauty and I use it and explore it and so on. But sometimes I feel like I'm sort of an anti-beauty beauty beauty editor. (laughs) Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's definitely similar to our approach Mm. towards beauty at polyester, I think, as well. Um, How do you think kind of like standards have changed over your career of beauty? Big question, sorry. Have they changed? I think on the surface, people think things have changed, but actually I don't think they have. I think what we're seeing is just a different iteration of something that has always existed. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's made, it's probably, you know, more aggressive in terms of the pursuit of a certain standard because of social media, because we're sort of played by so many different touch points of information. So really has it changed? I don't think, I think superficially it's sort of changed. I think maybe in some ways we're sort of more accepting or we think we're more accepting. And then, you know, you sort of step into real life outside of certain circles and you think, actually, people still think the way they think. They're still, you know, desperately chasing after that body shape or that face shape or that nose shape or that lip. That It's still happening. We can see it. Because if it wasn't the case, we wouldn't have a beauty industry that was so commercially successful. So, yeah, I, I I would love to think that our standards have changed <laughs> and we're just embracing all these other elements of what beauty could be and exploring them in their fullness. But I, I think we have a long way to go. Do you think that, I mean, <laughs> this is like a very big depression, depressing <laughs> question. <laughs> just some warning there. Do you think it's possible to shift them like in any big, meaningful way? Yes. I think we can. I, I think it's a big job, but I think we can. But that will have to start with, well, a lot of us who have been exposed to all of these ideas of what beauty is. So and much what conditioning. It be. Yeah, we've been conditioned so much. I think if we actively decide to sort of think about, you know, changing the way that we see beauty and, and also doing that, not just in terms of... um what we say, but also in practice as well. So for instance, with me, you know, I really have issues with any sort of creams or things that say anti 
anti-aging or anti-wrinkle. I just think there is a real issue with that. And I think to myself, imagine if every single person thought, no, 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 if it says anti-aging or anti-wrinkle, I will not buy it. Mm -hmm. The industry will have to shift to Mm -hmm. meet that need. So I think that as a consumer, we actually have quite a lot of power to change things. And I think also that so that's one part with all of us who are already conditioned and so on and have to fight against it on a daily basis. But then when we're looking at the sort of younger generation and when I talk about younger generation, I'm talking about like the kids, Mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, really small kids and, you know, thinking about, okay, what sort of conversations you have in around them? You know, what are you talking to them about that makes them think that this is what beauty is or this is what I should aspire to or not aspire to you know I have children and you know and I'm always having to talk to them about think of your body in terms of what it does and its functions and how you know you know your your body holds your digestive system and your body does this and you're able to do this and you know think of it in that way as opposed to the aesthetics and what that means and putting value on that and I think if we can if we all can play those roles with different people within our lives and being able just just channel this a different kind of energy around what holds value I think we can shift it but I think it's a it's it's something that we all have to have sort of individual responsibility for are we there yet? Are people willing to do that? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I don't know if I'm being cynical at all, but I always I think I've noticed it in the body positive movement mm. for sure that the advertising companies and like um, marketing companies, instead of catering to maybe changing attitudes within the public, are just changing the words they use. Oh and, yeah, like, completely. Skims has come out and it's for smoothing, but mm. that, that used to be spanks and it's mm. flattering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I feel like the these big companies aren't going to change what they're flogging or trying to change the way that we see beauty. They're just going to change the words that we use around it so yeah. that we can continue to diminish people. Yeah, and I think also fundamentally, in some ways, it's a it's a sort of catch-22 situation because really when you think about it, what is the purpose of a company or a business? To make money. Mm-hmm. That is their ultimate, ultimate goal, to make money. And so, yes, they want to make money in a way that is as you know, morally justifiable as possible or ethically justifiable as possible, you hope. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are certain things that they will simply do because they're like, well, there's a demand for that. There are lots of, you know, women particularly who Mm -hmm. are, you know, desperately looking for things to diminish wrinkles or to smooth so-called, you know, inverted commas, and to, you know, slim them down in a certain way. And so the company's sort of like, well, why shouldn't we respond to that? Women want that. Mm. They don't want to take responsibility for not making women feel, um, you know, n- not making them feel like they're less than. Uh, they just think, well, if that's what they want, we'll give them that. They don't want to actually change things. This is what I'm seeing. A lot of them don't really want to change things. They want to change things to a certain degree. But when it starts to hit the bottom line, then it's like, oh. I think it's all about what's profitable. Like, it's interesting you said about skims because we were talking about the Kardashians and like how all of their 
clothing lines go up to like a 5x or something which is obviously still quite rare mm. and it's like well because they know there's a market for it and that's mm-hmm. why they're doing it they're mm. not like you know like yes, great moral sa- yeah, saviors <laughs> <laughs> but in, in many ways I, I guess we can ask ourselves does that really matter are we expecting too much mm-hmm. you know if there are you know and I remember having this conversation with a um, makeup artist friend of mine and we were talking about the fact that so many brands now have come out with sort of you know foundations this was a few years ago foundations with lots and lots of skin tones and you know we know that a lot of it is performative because they've suddenly realized oh actually if we do that we'll make more money and that's a bit annoying (laughs) but we kind of were having this conversation around well does it really matter is it really important do we are we expecting too much of companies to sort of behave like people and have morals and Mm -hmm. have you know so I don't know that's all sort of out there but fundamentally they are companies and their job is to make money sadly that's that's what it is. It was interesting in the Cult of Beauty exhibition to kind of see our vision of beauty and standards of beauty mapped to even like pre- the rampant kind of like capitalist marketplace we have now like seeing those like really old paintings and the busts and like thinking well there wasn't a market around this Mm. but it still existed Mm. um what were your initial thoughts of like the show I feel like it's so expansive it's hard to have just like one thought yeah it is so expansive I mean I think what what was really interesting for me about the show well I mean it touched so many um it touched so many areas of beauty, you know, over the over the years and, and so on. So you see beauty from lots of different touch points and, and also in terms of different cultures and so on and so forth. But I think the thing that is so interesting to me is this this constant pursuit of beauty. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? Like, it's so, you know, it, it transcends age. It transcends time. It transcends culture you know like there's always this pursuit of beauty and I just you know you kind of wonder you ask yourself that is it possible to kind of just step away from that detach yourself from beauty and just devalue it somehow so I think that was what was just really interesting to me that regardless there's always been this pursuit of beauty regardless of the culture regardless of time and you know we're still we're still in it now I think it's harder now because the the seeing beauty as an art and seeing beauty as an industry is too hard to like delineate the difference mm. now. Like it's too difficult to, and also to see certain things as pandering. Like um, there's so much like tokenistic acts within the beauty industry as mm. well, where I, I find myself recoiling a bit even mm. um, from those kinds of things. I think um, there's a bit in the exhibition as well with the black beauty magazines mm, mm. and um, what was the title it was like it was inclusive or othering was like the subtitle for it was i'm not sure if you remember that kind of like display case yes, of I do. Like yes. a lot of the pivotal moments of mm. inclusion in like the publishing industry and i thought that was really interesting that it was its title that it wasn't necessarily like point blank adoring of mm. those like acts of inclusivity yes, and diversity yeah. because i feel like that's constantly a industry-wide or like society-wide conversation or within like probably the groups we're in anyway and like the people we follow on Instagram like oh is inclusion enough like what does it mean and definitely interested in your thoughts on that as like an editor and a columnist so in terms of all so just to get this Mm -hmm. right so in terms of this distinction between whether it's inclusive or whether it's othering Mm -hmm. yeah and I think there is a fine line there isn't it you know sometimes you feel like there's 
a sort of tick box that kind of goes on. It's like, oh, let's let's get a black face in there somehow. And so on. and I see that happens with me when people ask me to do certain things and I can tell the difference whether it's being inclusive and, and trying to make sure that there's lots of different representations of a particular topic or whatever, or whether it's just a case of, well, this person fits that mould, so we have to put them in there. Um, it, it's a really, really difficult one. I think it's um, this idea of how you represent different people. I think it has to be threaded if we're talking about sort of, you know, with publications or, or companies or whatever, it has to be threaded right through. You know, it can't be something that you only do at certain points. I mean, even when I think about, you know, going into certain stores and they have, you know, products for sort of black hair, um, a lot of times they'll sort of put that in the little corner and that's mm. the sort of ethnic corner, you know, but they will see themselves as being inclusive. But for me, that's othering, you mm. know, at the end of the day, what being inclusive is, is making everyone feel like they have a, you know, they have a seat at the table. Everyone feels welcome. It's, you know, that's what inclusivity is. And that's everyone. So when you start to sort of put people in these different kind of corners and boxes, um, then it starts being slightly, slightly sort of strange, and then it doesn't feel positive um, anymore. And and sometimes you know, and in back in the day, certainly. I mean, now you see much more inclusivity on covers, but you know, there was still there's still a little bit of tick boxing that goes on where it's like, okay, well, we've had this sort of person that looks a certain way. So now we, we can't do that again. We now have to have, you know, the person who fits the mould. And then maybe at some point we'll, you know, mm-hmm. drop that person in. It still goes on a little bit today. We still see that. We definitely still see that. It's not, you know, we're not at the point where it's like, oh, yeah, that's all fine. We've we've kind of, you know, we've kind of done that. It's like that. everyone's on an even keel kind yeah. of. I think it's kind of in the reporting of it as well. Because they'll be like, the really inclusive issue of yeah. XYZ. Like, and then it'll become its own news story. Yes, that they've yeah. done that. And yes. that kind of makes it separate. That's exactly. what makes it other. It should just be something that we don't even talk about anymore. But sadly, I, I don't know when we're going to get to that point. But yeah, but I think brands and publications, you know, media publications should really think about that where they don't make it a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, if someone else wants to pick it up and go, oh, they've done X, Y, Z, then fine. But I think when they're representing different sort of categories, just don't make it a thing. It should just be like everything else. You know, when you have a white, thin model on there, you don't sort of say, hey, look, you know, we've got a white, thin it's model. Like the 2000s you know, time. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, so it no one should sort of make a thing of it. And if someone wants to have the conversation around it, then fine. But I think that if they stop making such a thing about it, then it will become the norm. I remember working with a brand um, a few years back and um, I was I said to them, I said, look, your your social media is is very, very white. I mean, it's just lots and lots of white people. And um I said, you just you need to change it up. You need to reflect your customer base, your consumers and so on. And they did that for a little bit and their figures started to dip. And then they sort of flipped back to it being um, an all white cast. And I've said, well, why have you changed that? Oh, our figures were dipping and, and so on. It's really difficult. And I said, look, you have to normalize mm-hmm. 
you have to normalize a, you know a black face someone with a hijab a, you know a brown face you have to normalize it you know and you have to be willing to take the hit and this is part of the problem a lot of brands are not willing to take the hit as i always say it's like when it starts hitting the bottom line they're like whoa okay that's maybe a little bit too much for us you know so um you get some that are sort of trying to push but it's still not enough this is indicative as well of like the type of inclusivity that is very surface level because you know like behind that cover or behind that two months on Instagram they don't have any like marginalised people making up the team Mm -hmm. or if they do in the team those people don't have enough of like a power of voice or a sway to actually make any decisions. And I think that's that's a lot of the problem you know I would say that you know we can talk about inclusivity and diversity and whatnot all day long. I'm always really interested in you know who's in the corridors of power who's making decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, who actually has agency to change anything. And, you know, when people sort of say, oh, yeah, we do have, you know, people from marginalized groups in our, you know, in our teams that we hire. But I'm like, yeah, that's great. But do they have any power? Do they have a voice? Because if they don't, then in many ways, it's like, yeah, it's nice. But if the power structure still remains the same, then nothing is really, really going to change. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think going back to like you saying that stories are kind of made out of, yeah, like the first black model, the first plus size model, first disabled model. That was like definitely, do you remember that we would never ever theme issues of polyester because like we're so used to being. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Put in a box anyway. So like around that time when we started 10 years ago this year, it was like when it was like the girl issue of everything. But then it's like, no, but what if these people actually just made something consistently? (laughs) Like what would that mean when you can't just like be a headline anymore yes yeah so moving on i definitely found the kind of final installation in in the exhibition which was like a recreation of a club bathroom that had like a lot of 
in not interactive elements like multimedia elements is that what like yeah, like lots of tiktok mm, kind yeah. of tiktok's playing yes. like group chats buzzing i found that like possibly like one of the most engaging things for me personally mm. Interested in what you thought of it when you saw it? I think because it was so visceral. Yes. Like usually, you're engaging that content so passively on your phone, you don't even register that you are. Mm-hmm. Whereas put in front of you, I was like, oh, it's this almost is quite shocking. Yeah. yeah, it's quite <laughs> shocking. Like, I wish I had this like above my bath. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite intense, and it sort of it speaks to the intensity of what we're dealing with on social media right now. I mean, the content is really a lot, and it is really, really overwhelming. And it's it's alarming, I think, in terms of what we're digesting without sort of realising it. We're so, like, our subconscious is kind of, like, normalising the amount of content that is put out there around beauty on social media. And we are absorbing so much of that without sort of realising. So in the exhibition, when it's sort of presented to you, you're just like... Oh, wow (laughs) it does make you think and it made me think of like i'm not sure if you've seen all of the viral stories about 10 year olds shopping in sephora and like getting it trying to get drunk elephant stuff for christmas and all of that kind of thing i mean how do they even afford it drunk i know it's so expensive (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking that you have more money than i did when i was 10 i don't even i can't even buy one now i like see those little gift sets i'm like please especially like starring for you as a mother then you know i i think there's there's a there are a few things so on one hand i think we also i you know the older lot as it were i hate to use that word but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but we need to think back to okay when you were that age you know for anyone who was interested in beauty you were interested you wanted to um you wanted to experiment with things. It's just like you just didn't have the buzzy brands mm-hmm. like the Drunk Elephant and you didn't have the Sephora. I mean, we had like the local chemist with like really chalky <laughs> <laughs> chalky eyeshadow and you might get a Rimmel black cherry mm-hmm. if yeah. you're lucky. You know, information either. We didn't. Like, we didn't have YouTube tutorials. Exactly. And that's the difference. We didn't have any of that. So I'm wondering whether that is really just the repercussions of having you know you have social media and you have all of this information at your fingertips you know it's just everywhere they're surrounded by it you know I have nieces who are you know they're just turning sort of teen sort of ages yeah they're about sort of 12 and they're really into beauty they're really into you know, all sorts of beauty and, and fragrance and so on. They really, really engage with all of that. Apparently, like, Super Jugs is, like, the place now where everyone <laughs> hangs out, never mind Sephora. Um, for all the little ones, that's where they like to hang out because also, for the most part, the the ones who have only a little bit of pocket money, those are the bits that yeah. they can afford. So I, it, in many ways, I think it is concerning if you have, um, you know, the guardians and the parents or whatever of those um children because essentially that's what they are who facilitate that mm-hmm. i think that's more where it's um concerning because at the end of the day you know my kids certainly can't come to me and say can i have a drunk elephant thing because you're not <laughs> <Yeah>. getting it <laughs> i think it's interesting as well because it's kind of like when we were growing up at least like our spaces were so separate from adult spaces yes. like for example i even rem- i remember my mum putting her eye cream on and just being like I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd know what a lip gloss was yeah, or like something yeah. like that because it'd be reflected in yeah. the things I was watching, mm-hmm. for example. But we weren't 
I feel like beauty routines used to be quite a lot more hidden. Like you wouldn't really mm. necessarily admit to using an anti-aging thing or admit to this because it would be seen as like, well, you think you're getting old or something. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But do you think, I mean, I wonder, trying to steer it to the positive, yes, yeah. if people getting, if like, yeah, children and teens getting so involved with the actual like granular, what it means to be aging, what it means to be this will kind of throw up more radical ideas earlier on because surely if you're like, at one point, if you like look back and you're 13, you realize you were 10 putting on like a retinol, you're gonna, something's gonna snap in you at yes, some point. Yeah, but I'm wondering whether it will, you know, whether them sort of starting that journey at 10, they'll just ride it for the rest of their days, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it will take a while before they sort of snap back and kind of think, actually, hang on a second, that's not quite right. I think the change sort of needs to come here at this point where. Yes, you're not going to shift from the tweens necessarily not being interested in beauty. And that's not really the conversation. It's more about sort of educating them in many ways. I think looking after your skin Mm -hmm. is a great thing. I didn't really have that. I didn't have the information at hand around looking after my skin. All I knew was that it was breaking out and I didn't know what to do with it. And then I was just using all sorts of things Mm -hmm. um, on it, which were actually quite dangerous for your skin. But I didn't really know that. I didn't have that sort of education. There was nothing that, you know, you couldn't go on YouTube and find out, you know, what's, you know, what's going on with my skin or just getting some sort of information or anything like that. And I think one thing we do have a lot of um, is a lot of good education out there on beauty it's finding the right voices and the right people and so on but I think that if we can channel that in a positive way where the tweens are like okay well I need to look after my skin I don't need retinol right now but maybe I need ceramides or maybe I can just do with this or whatever and then you're still enabling them to be able to sort of dabble in that love of beauty per se but not in a way that becomes kind of detrimental or sort of negative to their own um, way of thinking about beauty. I do also think the beauty industry, not the beauty industry, the beauty communities online can be some of the most inclusive spaces in mm-hmm. online as well. Mm-hmm. Like There's so much like queer representation mm-hmm. for kids that mm-hmm. if they are engaged in those communities, they might be a bit more progressive than if they weren't mm-hmm. um, or if they were involved in beauty, interested in beauty at a few, even like a 10 years ago, they wouldn't mm-hmm. have had like such an education in like mm-hmm. Prague or something like that mm-hmm. that they get now through just that interest in products or interest in a lip gloss and then that takes them down that hole I, I guess for me it's, it's more about where where are we placing our value you know I think that beauty can be a really wonderful thing but it, it should be something that one wears lightly mm. you know where you know if you're wearing it and it makes you feel amazing great but on the days that you're not wearing it and so on it should be fine mm-hmm. you know so it's about where are we placing our values and um and I think that's something that, you know, we need to think about with the 10-year-olds, whether it's a case of they want all of these different things because it makes them feel better when really maybe there's an underlying issue that just needs to be explored quite separately to beauty. But I understand that, you know, certainly, you know, with beauty communities can be really, really powerful for people who have felt marginalised and not accepted in so-called normal spaces um it it can be really really powerful when you kind of find your people you know 
Yeah, my mum's a massive fan of makeup. Like, I can't even explain. She's got, like, a chest of drawers. It's just, like, one drawer is lip glosses. Um, <laughs> and she's been plus size, she's been plus size my whole life. And it's something that she's always been able to, like, put her passions into. Yes. Because she's not catered to elsewhere mm. within um, the beauty and fashion industry. Yes, yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she's fab. <laughs> but, yeah, I would say that there's, like, I feel like there's a stark difference between, you know, like, an eyeshadow palette and then, like retinol or these ingredients that actually have like a scientific component which I thought was also really interesting about Mm. the exhibition was that it kind of traced the pharmaceutical Mm. beginnings of a certain type of beauty Mm -hmm. and how that kind of became cultural instead of scientific which Mm -hmm. is something that I talk a lot about in my book as well when like wellness and health become a lifestyle pursuit Mm -hmm. rather than something that is actually tied to you know us and our biology and yes, our makeup yes, and yeah, stuff com- i feel like that's a very slippery slope oh yeah completely i mean weirdly enough actually i was having a conversation with someone um just yesterday and i it was like how how is it that we've come to this point where wellness is you know equated with wealth mm-hmm. you know in order to pursue wellness you actually have to be quite wealthy mm-hmm. um how, how is that when wellness is something that sh- just should be for us all, you know, it shouldn't be about how much you earn or how much you can spend, um, you know, and really super expensive products and so on. But that's kind of where we are. So, you know, I totally, I totally hear you with that, how that has sort of shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's no longer about, yeah, our sort of biology and sort of those sort of basic things that everyone can sort of relate to. It's more about, well, you can have this level of wellness if you can pay if you can for pay. it. I feel like that's only increasing as well with like, you know, the kind of, with a Zempic basically is mm. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And like, you know, the introduction of these drugs or these things or like these little tweakments as mm. people call them that are like very low effort mm. in some ways, like in inverted commas, high price. Mm. That brings like a whole other class discussion into beauty, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. in terms of like those who I feel like we see it so often, like those who can afford good fillers mm-hmm. aren't criticized mm-hmm. for cosmetics work. Whereas like those who maybe are going to the high street or whatever and then like maybe are out in the club and you know one of those horrible pictures in the Daily Mail where it's like women gone wild mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> at Ascot or whatever, like Ladies Day. Yeah. Um because and they'll people will call those filter fillers janky because they're not like expensive enough and that person like isn't going to the doctor that has like the acceptable face of it it's so shocking isn't it yeah really when you think about it and this um it's an interesting one you know when we're talking about fillers and you know and tweakments and so on on one hand you yeah you do have that you know the people who are able to afford really expensive iterations of it you know they're sort of lauded for being this face of you know really good work oh that's such good work or who's your doctor and so on and someone else who can't afford that like you say you know they're sort of um criticized but essentially it's the same thing Mm -hmm. everyone's pursuing the same thing you can go to the most expensive person or you can go to you know your dentist and have botox i'm not advocating that please don't do that (laughs) um but essentially it's the same thing because everyone is trying to fight age and and that is an issue i think i think everybody who was doing that that's that's the issue and i know that some people are sort of criticized for um for having work done i also think that's an issue yeah because you know us pursuing um aging in you know at whatever cost 
that is a problem because you can't fight aging. <laughs> yeah. You just can't. It's you like know. the one thing that's guaranteed. You just, yeah, you just can't fight it. So it's, you know, it's a lost cause. You can't, at what point are you going to sort of stop? And in many ways, you have to sort of, you know, confront this issue that, okay, we have an issue with aging. How do we how do we deal with this? You know, and then on the other hand, you know, I think it, it's very much a choice if someone wants to have lots of injections and they want to have tweakments and so on. That is a very, very personal choice. And everyone is on a different journey when it comes to self-acceptance in whatever way. And you can't sort of criticize someone who's not at a certain point mm-hmm. that you think that they should be. You just you just can't. Everyone's on a different journey when it comes to beauty. I also think there's something in it about it seeming natural. Like mm. their work looks natural yeah. mm. and their work doesn't look natural. Mm. And there's this obsession with that be- the best form of beauty is a natural beauty. And mm. then like pursuing it was immoral. I think it was kind of touched on in the beginning of the exhibition as well of like people were kind of seen as like unjust or immoral or ungodly Mm. if they were overly obsessed with their own beauty but the people who were naturally beauty naturally and funny yes yeah um, (laughs) were seen as like highly virtuous yes yeah method of thinking has continued today like if you and that like all these sexist men who are like oh i I love a girl who doesn't wear makeup yes showing a picture of a woman with like the most you've ever seen Um, so so true weird obsession with natural yes yeah and this idea that you know the more sort of pious you are and so it sort of shows on your Mm -hmm. shows in your skin but yeah i mean some of the so-called beautiful people for me that I've met like lots of so-called you know people that society will deem really beautiful are some of the most hideous people I've ever met (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) so I just I you know this idea that we still like to correlate those two things I just think it doesn't even make any sense it really really doesn't but yes I do think that it's because we we put beauty on such a pedestal. That's the problem. You know, so we associate it. It's like, okay, if someone's really, really beautiful, you know, that's almost next to godliness, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's because we put it on such a pedestal. And it's it's that thing that everyone is, and I say that, you know, loosely, but, you know, people are just constantly sort of searching for. I mean, I think it's so interesting as well. And something that the cult of beauty does really well is kind of like uncovers these roots in religion Mm. and like yeah godliness like these are words we would not normally use Mm. if we were having Mm. like a conversation about beauty do you Mm. know what I mean I feel Mm. like a lot of us if you're not religious feel like very divorced from like the influence of religion maybe Mm. where it's like no really like a lot of these things lead back not necessarily even just religion but like you know like white supremacy ableism Mm. if you trace why you feel the way you Mm. do back to something Mm. It's maybe something you don't agree with, which I think the exhibition does really well at interrogating as well. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't believe how much people were interested in beauty from such a early... I know, before they even existence. had like proper mirrors. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. That was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, no mirrors, but still... This is why I wonder whether it's something that's ingrained. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't been able to trace back to a time that people weren't interested in beauty but maybe what's shifted is what our perception of beauty is and how that sort of manifests itself in many ways i think as well is beauty is free before 
capitalism got involved or the beauty industry mm. got involved that you used to be able to just look at a tree and be like that's beautiful that's yes, a tree that you yes, can do so yes. it's accessible to everyone and not that I'm a, like a medieval peasant and I'm <laughs> 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 but that would logically is where my mind would go yes like, you can use your eyes to look at something beautiful and that's a free act of joy but I think anything that is of benefit to say the human race or to society there is always going to be someone who thinks how can I capitalize yeah. on exactly. that exactly that's you what know. the whole problem's been yes. <laughs> yeah. and I also think that like self-improvement is part of the human condition in a way like mm-hmm. we do want to be able to self-improve and previously or like maybe when you're reading a book that person's trying to go on like a moral journey mm. or like a journey in their relationship but beauty is just another way to do that like yes to aggressively self-improve yes, like, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is why it's so like we're so divorced from beauty in the poetic sense that Gina said and then the scientific sense which is where I've been coming from I suppose with wellness and stuff but mm. we still conflate the two I feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think let me double check how long yeah. I think we've been talking for half an hour we've been talking for 40 oh, minutes cool. oh, okay we, we should wrap up <laughs> I was trying to kind I was trying to time keep so well, I absolutely fucked it. Um okay. <laughs> Any parting thoughts? I could go on for hours. I know. <laughs> I guess my part of the thought is how much of it is wrapped up in sexism as well. Like beauty is so aligned. And ageism. Yeah, mm-hmm. and ageism. I think everyism, really. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is because and I think that it's because it still goes back to the standard that everyone seems to you know the the standard that society holds dear is all of those things that it's not older it's not someone who is disabled it's not someone who has the so-called wrong color you know even when you see the way um certain people and marginalized communities are depicted whether in certain shoots or certain you know um media landscapes or whatever you find that it's always the acceptable face mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's always, you know, okay, we can have someone who's bigger, but, you know, in let it right be places. in the right places, yeah. you know, let it all be in proportion, let it all be, you know, let them look like Jessica Rabbit, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, you know, it's always, so I think that's, that's the thing. I, it, you know, beauty is steeped in that, it's that standard, that standard, still hasn't changed it still hasn't shifted a lot of the things that we're seeing is still really performative and I think until we have those who are in positions of power and responsibility on until we get them to sort of shift their way of dealing with this and not putting everything down to sort of hard cash we will continue to do this unless we as consumers stop and say actually we want to change and then things will start to change. Definitely. Perfect note to yeah, end on, I'd say. <laughs> thank you, so you for me. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We will see the listeners next week. See them. See them, hear them. <laughs> Talk to them. <laughs> yeah, that Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.